0: begins with an abrupt start. Now Samuel died. This is the prophet. This is the one who judged Israel all the days of his life, according to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house of Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Moen, Maon, sorry, whose business was in Car- Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us. And we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited and Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, "'Behold, David sent messengers out to the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm.'" And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep Already prepared, in five says of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred dried two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey, and came under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow had, has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as a male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, "'On me alone, my Lord,' Be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless f- fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt. And from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and and evil shall not find in you so long as you live." If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, "'Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, "'who sent you this day to meet me. "'Blessed be your discretion, "'and blessed be you who have kept me this day "'from blood guilt and from working salvation "'with my own hand.'" For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her, from her hand, what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. She told him nothing at all until, more, until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had, had gone out of Nabal, his, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahenem of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michal his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galem. Hear the word of the Lord. A little bit longer of a chapter, but such an interesting and important narrative that we have before us this day. Now, we spoke briefly about Samuel's death. And I want to move right into where David finds himself at this particular time of his runnings from King Saul. Remember, he has been on the run now for some time. And we find at this point he has 600 men. Uh, accompanying him as he continues to move about fleeing from the hand of King Saul. Now, just imagine the logistical problem of supporting that many followers would be. So not far from Ziph, to which he had fled earlier, were these towns mentioned in this chapter where he now finds himself. And there David encountered the servants of a man named Nabal. We're told he was a very rich man. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And what we're told from the narrative is that over a period of time of David being with his men on the run in this particular place, they had acted with kindness and generosity towards Nabal's shepherds and sheep. So even one of Nabal's young men describing what David and his men have been doing describes them as a wall about them. They were, they were being a good neighbor. Where, logistically, there is great need for his camp. You've got hungry, hungry men that are going to consume a lot of food. And the question is, where are you going to get all the rations? And so, as you just kind of think about the setting and what may have been growing, the, the need for sustenance... I think there's a term that people in here use, hangry. I'm really hangry. I know in my own life, Jane and I have laughed about this many times. If we have not eaten in a while and hunger begins to grow inside of us quickly, the sin in our heart is, is revealed. We, we get, we get uh, irritated quite easily, realizing our need for a savior once again, even when just our, our stomachs are growling. And how much more so with 600 men who are in need of ongoing food, this this desire to be uh, compensated or to be helped by the one that they have created this wall of protection for. And just remember where we've been. um, In previous chapters, the the men of Keilah were experiencing not only just the hardships of, of being in areas that are more remote but also the presence of the Philistines coming and wanting to consume their goods. And so where these people find themselves, the the shepherds and the flocks of Nabal, there are, are many dangers lurking around. And we're told that David and his men provided shelter. They provided care, protection. And it gets to a point where David is going to inquire of this wealthy man, during a time of abundance when they're shearing the sheep for some assistance. We're we're told at the end of the chapter, just an indication of the wealth of this man. He is holding a feast during this time. The feast, like a king would hold a feast. And so David sends 10 of his young men to go and to ask for help. And so the story unfolds before us. We have heard it read, and we're going to just kind of walk through and spend some time uh, analyzing a few spots along the way and applying God's word. We hear quickly a description of this man, Nabal, and his wife. And um, really, when you hear that Nabal means fool, that really is an indication that kind of unlocks who this man is. Um, there's a description of a fool in Isaiah 32, 6 that just really hits the nail on the head when thinking about this man, Nabal. For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and deprive the thirsty of drink. That's the description given of a fool. And you look at Nabal, and he follows right in suit with this description. We're also given the description of his wife. Verse 3, a woman. The woman was discerning and beautiful. And this contrast to Nabal, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. And so we hear in verses 6 through 8 that David sends his young men And tells them exactly what to say to Nabal in asking for help. And you see just this um, beautiful respect. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. Explaining uh, their situation and their need of help. Laying it before Nabal. And then we see in verses 9 through 12, Nabal's response to David's plea for help. And really his response echoes what we just read from Isaiah, the description of a true fool. There are interesting parallels between Saul and Nabal. They both, interesting enough, held David in the opposite regard than most everyone else in Israel. It's quite interesting. Almost everyone else in Israel, we hear, loved him. Nabal showed no regard for David and even and his response back to the young men's plea on behalf of David refers to him again like Saul did, the son of Jesse. And really that's despairing him in that particular context, just like Saul was known to do. We also see in Nabal a reflection of, a, 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 of many wealthy people who have such a keen sense of their own possessions, You hear the description given in the text, my bread, my water, my meat, my shears. There was no way that this man would share his possessions with another. And we're reminded of the rich fool in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 12. That fool spoke so constantly in the first person that uh, that he had only himself to really talk to. This is what it sounded like in Luke chapter 12. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. The problem was, as Jesus points out so clearly in Luke's gospel, that his own life did not belong to himself much less his possessions. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This is the one, Jesus concludes, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. As we look at Nabal's response, you see a lot of a lot of similarities there to the way that that rich fool responded in Luke chapter 12. David's response to this very clearly from our passage read is that he was, he was lit up. He was extremely angry at this response. And David said to his men in verse 13, every man strap on his sword. So every man did so. And David even strapped on his sword and about 400 men went with David and 200 of the 600 remained with the baggage. We're also told a little bit more in verses 21 through 22, what was going on, what was stewing in David. David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Remember, it's worth noting that David's ungodly response, which it was towards Nabal, came on the heels of where we were last Lord's Day, where we find David in the, same, in the same cave as King Saul. So just interesting to think about where he just was and what happened in that episode and where he finds himself now. He spared King Saul in the cave. And you you would get done with chapter 24 and think, okay, this, by God's grace, was a spiritual success. David could have really taken matters into his own hands, and he didn't with King Saul. We tend to respond to spiritual successes by relying on ourselves and loosening our dependence on God's grace. Think about maybe a moment or season in your life, Someone would maybe refer to those as like mountaintop experiences where you maybe over, overcame something that you had really struggled with, God, with, by God's help, you, you achieved something in the Christian walk, maybe more consistency in your daily devotions, whatever it is, and you get kind of, unfortunately, puffed up, thinking that all is well, and it, at that moment where I think Satan loves to just interject and tempt And show us that we start so quickly depending on ourselves and less on on God. How quickly we, just like David in this situation, can turn into Saul's. Remember when Saul reacted to a supposed betrayal. David in this moment is feeling betrayed. He was and his men caring for Nabal's flock and men, his shepherds. Saul reacted to a supposed betrayal of Ahimelech by ordering the death of all the priests at Nob. Now, David intends to answer Nabal's insult by slaying all the men of his household. A.W. Pink is so helpful here when he states, No man stands a moment longer than divine grace upholds him. The strongest are weak as water immediately when the power of the Spirit is withdrawn. The most mature and experienced Christians act foolishly the moment he be left to himself. None of us has any reserve strength or wisdom in himself to draw from. Our source of sufficiency is all treasured up for us in Christ. And as soon as communion with him is broken, as soon as we uh, cease looking to him and to him alone, We are as helpless as David. What a good reminder. You may have had consistent time with the Lord for the last week, thinking that you're good for the next week, and that's just not how it works. We daily, constantly are dependent upon the Lord, in need of his help, enabling of the Spirit to endure any kind of situation that comes our way. And what we see here in this chapter, even though there was a spiritual success just the chapter before, when presented with a different situation, David responds very differently. Again, chapter 25 must be seen in its larger context, along with chapter 24. In chapter 24, David is the restrainer. He will not harm King Saul or permit his men to do so. Do you remember in the cave where his men are like enticing him to go and he has to basically rebuke them and not permit them to do so? But in chapter 25, David is the one that must be restrained. He refuses to harm the anointed king, but at this moment, he is willing to wipe out an Israelite and his entire household. And so it comes or so is introduced, a the young man and Abigail in the next part of our story. And I think it's good for us to just pause for a moment and realize that there is a quiet servant of the Lord's providence being used. The highlight, and rightly so, is on Abigail in this chapter, but there is this young man who comes to Abigail, and he knew who David was and all that he had done, And he also knew who Nabal was. He is the one that characterizes Nabal as a worthless man. That's the same expression used by the narrator earlier describing the sons of Eli, the worthless sons, Hophni and Phinehas. This young man is used by the Lord. He's not named, but in a mighty way, informing, alerting Abigail to act. Abigail was described as one with good understanding, discernment. And she quickly understood the seriousness of this situation and worked on how to get this household out of this mess. Verses 18 and 19. She prepares a gift, a substantial gift, and prepares it so swiftly. For David and his men... And the way this is presented is it's a token of goodwill sent on ahead of her to make a favorable impression and a signal to David and his men of her intentions before she even gets to him. So we see in verses 23 through 31 when she finally does get to him she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. And so the focal point of the chapter is on Abigail's speech when she meets David. She began with honoring him. Just as David approached Saul in the previous chapter, her actions matched his posture before King Saul. She was seeking to dramatically change the fate of Nabal and his household. And the way she does it is amazing, by taking, willingly taking the guilt upon herself. All of it. We're going to return to this action in just a bit. She continues to press on with a request. Her first plea was that David should give Nabal the attention that he deserves. Namely this, nothing. She is trying to avert David's attention away from this fool. He is a fool, and if Abigail had been the one to receive the request of David's men, all of this would have been so different. Second request is really a prayer, verse 26, and it's based on a very confident interpretation of her interception of David before he gets to Nabal's household. God had put Abigail in his path so that she would keep him... And her from disaster. She described the potential disaster from which he had been saved from. This is a very interesting approach. It's not just about what she will be relieved of, it's what David will be relieved of. He is going to be saved from blood guilt and from saving yourself with your own hand. This is a theme that we see throughout this chapter, and really what we should hear this morning. We are not called to save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us. She is preventing David from blood guilt and from trying to save himself with his own hand. She tells him the enemies of David will be dealt with by the Lord. The third request is for David to accept the gift That Nabal should have been provided. Or I'm sorry, that he should have provided David. The fourth request is for forgiveness, which really brings her speech to its beautiful climax. Verse 28 Please forgive the trespass of your servant. She based her forgiveness on an amazing prediction of David's coming kingdom. The Lord brought Abigail across David's path and even inspired her words. This is the first time the mention of this particular phrase, a sure house, will be given to David. The language she used anticipated the great promise that God would make to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 through the prophet Nathan. It is the first clear reference to the dynasty of David. It is the promise that God would give David, this is what God says in 2 Samuel 16, uh, ch- chapter 7, verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. More than David could probably even begin to grasp, Abigail is speaking inspired words to him. Abigail was also repeating a principle expressed clearly in Scripture. When humans have sinned against us, we are not to take vengeance into our own hands, but to leave vengeance to the Lord. She may have been thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, where, the, where God declared, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. And it comes from me, says the Lord. Now, if you've been with us working through 1 Samuel, we've been reminded of the topic of vengeance a few times now in the last few chapters with the men of Keilah and what David wanted to do to those men, with Saul falling into David's hand. Right there in the cave, and he could have taken matters into his own hands. We're reminded of vengeance not belonging to us, but to the Lord. What's important for us to see is that you may have heard that last week. Coming from the text, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. We trust him. He will take care of it. We are not to take matters into our own hands. And you may at that point believed and trusted that that is true. David did in that setting. But just like David, we need to hear it again this week if a different context or situation is presented to us. David needed to hear it again. So when he was in the cave with Saul, he remembered that Saul is the Lord's anointed and God is going to take care of business. But in our chapter before us today, David encounters a fool and swiftly seeks to take matters into his own hands after being disrespected and maligned by Nabal. And she says that his life will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. Now, for some of us, we're going to have to go back and reread her speech because she says Lord and Lord a whole lot. And you can see, lowercase, she's talking to David, the anointed of the Lord. And uppercase, she's talking about Yahweh, the Lord God, the covenant-keeping God. So you kind of have to go back through and make sure you understand which Lord she's referring to when. But she is telling David, her Lord, lowercase l, that he is securely bound in the bundle of the living by the Lord, your God. Now, We can't stop and pause at every moment or every part of this passage, but just think about this for a moment. God holds the bundle of the living like a bundle of sticks, and David is tied tightly into the bundle. It reminds me of Psalm 139, 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days of my life, the days that were formed for me, when as yet There was none of them. God has his people. As as, um, Dennis prayed and reminded us, there's not even a rogue molecule outside the sovereign hand of our Lord. David is being reminded, encouraged, rebuked by Abigail's words, remembering who holds him in his hands who he can trust and rely on, who will take care of every hard experience that comes his way, even this fool, Nabal. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. A good question, was Abigail so skillful as to mention a sling to just remind David of the sling that God helped him use to slay the giant. This is how God's going to take care of your enemies. Remember. Remember the good works of the Lord. Let that inform your decision decision making even now. Because remember, David is on the cusp of slaughtering Nabal. He's listening to this woman. But but we don't know if you had not read through the narrative what what his response is going to be to her speech? Again, A.W. Pink summarizes this. She pleaded with David that he would let his coming glory regulate his present actions. That is so good and so applicable to us. You, you may go, well, hold on. I'm not the anointed king of Israel. She pleaded with him that he would let his coming glory regulate or inform his present actions so that in that day his conscience would not reproach him from previous follies. And so, applying this truth to us, if we kept before us the judgment seat of Christ, surely our conduct would be more regulated thereby. So some uh, speak ill of having an eternal perspective, perspective informing our present. Some would refer to that maybe as like you're just kind of living in the spiritual world or escapism of the present reality. But I want to submit to you as believers, this is crucial to our walk. Thinking, thinking hard about future glory, the promises that Christ has made to His people, the new heavens and the new earth the return of our king, and letting all of that inform our present reality. That actually is the best place for us to be mentally and our hearts to be set upon what is coming and letting that inform our present. So David's response to Abigail in verses 32 through 35. With her skillful words, Abigail turned David's heart from his murderous rage so that he could accept the words that she spoke, the gift that she brought, and reply with words of peace. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. God's grace was with David to make him willing not only to grant forgiveness, but also to repent of his own foolish and unbelieving ways that were about to unfold before him. This reminds me of a psalm that David wrote, Psalm 141 verse 5, just one verse. This is how David responds to To rebuke. Let a righteous man strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace and help, we can actually respond to very hard admonishment and rebuke if God allows us to see the truth in our folly, in our ways, that actually should be our response. And I want to just, again, frame it within the context this is only possible with the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, enabling us to respond. When you experience a a righteous man striking you or rebuking you, to be able to see that as God's kindness to you, This is his grace to you that you would even be made known or aware of your folly. How many of us actually think of rebuke in that light? When a brother and sister loves you enough to hold God's word in your face and say, brother or sister, what you're doing is wrong. It is not okay. I love you enough to show you. This should be oil to our heads. Let it run down and praise God by his grace. He sent someone like Abigail to come to us Before we made a stupid, stupid mistake, people do not always take biblical reproof or rebuke for the blessing that it is. But David knew how much courage and discernment it took for Abigail to act as she did. And he recognizes that she both saved lives and kept him from tragic, tragic sin that later his conscience would not let him uh, live with. That of avenging himself with his own hand. And so David's response is a heart that has been worked on by the Lord to be able to receive this kind of correction, correction really is a mark of the greatness of him as a king of Israel. David had the right interpretation of this event. God sent you this very day to meet me. And again, what loving hands construct these type of roadblocks on our way to foolishness? This is the mercy of God, that he would send an Abigail to be a roadblock to our Road of foolishness. The need of this constant insight really pervades Scripture, but it's, it's ongoing because we, as long as we have breath in our lungs, will continue to battle the flesh as long as we are here on this earth waiting for Christ to return. And we need, we need Abigails to speak truth into our lives to help us when we are all bent out of shape and super angry and upset and want to just lash out and take matters into our own hands. God is so patient and kind with his children. And if you have been rebuked and admonished, it is not comfortable or pleasant. But as God is conforming us into the image of his Son, he uses these means to accomplish his purposes, and they are good. And what we see as this narrative unfolds towards the end is that the Lord takes care of the rest. Abigail returns home only to find Nabal continuing in his ways. He was completely wasted, feasting like a king, and she waits until he's sober, and she tells him all that has happened in his heart Dies within him. He becomes like a stone. And I just want to make note of the the ease at which ten days later he's struck dead by the the Lord and gone. And I think that emphasizes the reality of what David was seeking to do and saving himself by his own hands and what it looks like to trust God in every situation of our lives. The ease at which the Lord cares for the matter. The brevity in verse 38 reflects this reality, that he is, he is sovereign over all and able to accomplish all that needs to be done. That vengeance is his, declares the Lord. The final blow was that 10 days later, the Lord struck him dead. And really, the brevity of that, I think, really just speaks to the turning over and trusting God to take care, and he takes care. After Nabal dies, David calls this widow, Abigail, to be his wife and provides for her as well. Now I want to come back as we come to a close to Abigail's willingness to take all of the guilt upon herself. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt is what she says to David. And what, a, what an amazing picture this is of what the Lord Jesus Christ does for those who do not deserve it. Remember, she is going, representing Nabal. And I want us to hear this we, if you're thinking, man, out of this narrative, who do I most connect with? Who am I the most like? We are nable. If our hearts were laid bare, we would all be greatly embarrassed and probably, you know, cur- cu- cur- cuddling up or circling up like a like a an infant in in shame. If our hearts were truly laid bare and the sin and the depravity was was known to everybody around us here in this room this morning, I, I want to use. Uh, Words from two Johns, one that's alive now and one who has passed previously, the first John Piper, explaining our sinful condition. He explains, our sinful condition is the commitment to be our own God. I, I will be the final authority of my life. I will decide what is right and what is wrong for me. What is good and bad for me, what is true and false for me, and my desires will express my sovereignty, autonomy, and though I dare, don't dare to admit it, even my deity. Hear how closely that aligns with the my, the my, the my of Nabal. We are all outside of Christ, just like that. It is all about our little kingdom. We want to rule and reign on our little throne and the depth of our depravity is truly exposed when we have, we have no desire to, to kneel before the king of kings and lord of lords and let him rule and reign over our lives. We must look to someone else to do what we cannot do and outside of Christ what we do not even want to do. According to the second John, Jonathan Edwards, There are two things that make Christ's love so wonderful. Please listen. Number one, that he should be willing to endure suffering that was so great. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us lived a life that we could not live, perfectly obeying the Father in all things, perfectly keeping the law, where we fail so miserably, and died the death that we deserve to die because of our sin. He bore God's wrath on our behalf. His love for us is so wonderful that he would be willing to endure suffering that was so great. And number two, that he should be willing to endure it to make atonement for wickedness that was so great. That is us. We are the navels, the wicked ones. And Christ died in our place, satisfying the wrath of God, being our substitute. So all who look upon Christ, repent of their sins and receive him by faith, no longer stand condemned but alive and justified by faith in Christ alone. The hymn that comes to mind is Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt, spilt. grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, 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 God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Let us pray. Father, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Father, we are so thankful for your word and the reminder of the truth that we found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. God, we pray that you would help us to trust you in every circumstance and not seek salvation by our own hands. What this is not is a call to passivity, but one of complete reliance upon your word as we navigate this pilgrim here on earth, this pilgrimage. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace in the roadblocks to our foolishness that you place when otherwise we would run headlong into destruction. Father, we thank you for Abigail's and we pray that you would use each one of us to be alert and love our brothers and sisters enough to be used by you as instruments in your hand to to be these type of roadblocks towards our brothers and sisters' foolishness. Father, we praise you for your restraining providence in our lives, and may we respond like David to this type of admonishment and rebuke, like oil on our heads, when we are turned from sin and towards the path of righteousness. Father, by the power of the Spirit, apply these truths to our hearts and to our minds, and may we walk out of this place remembering who we are in Christ and enabled by the Spirit to walk in a manner that pleases you. And we pray all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.